Let's um, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, and I'd like to, it's good to see everybody here. Um, I'd like to have us maybe first um, do a little review, and I apologize that it's so warm in here. Usually it's quite cold, and I'm not really sure what's happening with our uh, air conditioning, Uh, so we're working on that now, so thanks for your patience. It's usually a lot cooler in here, ask the ladies. (laughs) Oh, it just kicked on. Okay, great. So in a few minutes, it's going to get real cold in here. So um, Genesis chapter 3, and we've been talking about a, um, a theme that has just been something that has just come to my heart from time to time over the last year. And we've been here, for those that are new, we've been here since November, and it's just been really a blessing too. And I know it's a lot of, it's kind of fun to find how to get here. You're going down the access road, you're wondering, am I going to wind up in someone's pasture or something? Or, you know, like I'm going to start seeing cows. But we're back here, and this has been a real blessing to be here. And so if you're new here, really, we're welcome. we want to welcome you and, and make sure you um, grab a couple of the, the, the visitors' uh, forms there so we can stay in touch. We promise not to spam you. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, we've been talking about our gospel identity. And you know, it's kind of like a big term, gospel identity. I think another way we could say that is who we are in the finished work. And when Jesus died on the cross and Jesus said, it is finished, Jesus was not lying. He was saying, it is finished regarding you, okay? Do you ever feel like you're not a finished product? Wake up in the morning and you just feel like, I don't know what it is. I just feel just spiritually cruddy. I just don't feel like quickened or I don't feel great about myself. I feel kind of worn out. You ever feel that way? Maybe spiritually exhausted, maybe tired, maybe just facing, maybe you're facing a lot, chronic issues in your life that are just long-term chronic things that that every day you just face this. Maybe there's a health issue or something that's going on in your family. But I think that what we really need to understand that the mission of the church is really to communicate to the body of Christ who you are in Christ, amen? And, and if you have little kids and you, you wanna just, there we have a nursery back there if you, want, if you get uncomfortable, uh, we're fine with kids in here. So, um, and Ann can show you where the, where the nursery is. But as a church, um, our mission and our goal is to communicate to people who they are in Jesus Christ. And we truly believe that if we do that, if we communicate to you who you are in Jesus Christ, then there's going to be a lot of answers to what we're supposed to do with our life. Amen? Let me say that again. If we know who we are in Christ, and if we know who God is and who we are in Christ, then there's going to be a lot of information, there's going to be a lot of questions that are answered about who we are and what we're supposed to be doing in our life. I think sometimes what could happen with religious organizations is is that we could get so much into programs and informing people about what they're supposed to do in a Christian culture that has nothing to do with a biblical model, then we are missing the mark, okay? And so my my vision, my my prayer, and we're going to have a vision Sunday in a couple weeks, probably the last Sunday of August, where we're going to sit down Right after the service, we're going to sit down, have a luncheon like we usually do, and we're just going to talk about how we can serve this community. When I say that, I don't mean just like buying backpacks and sending them to a school for them to, which is great, which I think is needed, but I think as a church, getting out and meeting people one-on-one, face-to-face, rolling up our sleeves, and just finding out how can I wash this person's feet in the community of Magnolia and the surrounding neighborhoods. And when we understand who we are in Christ and we understand first who God is, remember when Jesus said to Peter, "Uh, who do men say that I am? He said that to his disciples. And what did Peter say? Peter said what? 
He got it right this time, right? Usually Peter opens his mouth and he doesn't get it right. Open mouth, insert foot and, and leg and everything. And he said, thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said in Matthew 16 to him, Heaven, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, right? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, okay? People have not revealed this to you. My Father, which is in heaven, has revealed this unto you. And this is where I think that it'd be easy to fall short as a church, and if we are not preaching the full counsel of God, is that we look at um, the Bible as a rule book, as a book about behavior, rather than a book of rhema, a, a book when, which that mean that word rhema means in Matthew 4, uh, personal revelations of what the Bible is saying to me. Matthew 4, verse 4, it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every revelation or illumination that God is revealing to you and I, by, uh, you and I on a day-to-day basis who we are in Christ and who the body of Christ is. And that's what makes a church special. It's more than just a religious group of people giving money to some really awesome and expensive programs, which is great, and I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that like the body of Christ, we meet together and we edify ourselves in love. Like um, what I really love about one of the things that we do here is we have Bible school on Monday nights. We have Wednesday night in the, in the corner over there by the, by the map. We have like this time together of fellowship. We are um, encouraging each other. We're praying together. We're having some fellowship and we're hitting a theme. We've been hitting the theme of, of Jonah, the grace of God in Jonah's life. One of the things I really enjoy though during the week is after our church service on Sunday is just getting together and eating some really great food. My wife does a lot of that, and, the, and Franz and Michelle do that. They're, they're just really incredible with the hospitality. And when we edify ourselves, when we walk out that door, and we get in our cars, and we drive home, my prayer is, is that you and I will have been encouraged in who we are in Jesus Christ, and not just another religious program, not another message. You're not, you're not, you're not meeting, you're not meeting the, the bar. Uh, you got to work harder, you know, and I think that sometimes if we've been in that environment for so long, got to work harder, we almost enjoy getting yelled at. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Like in, real, in Christianity and, and, and other religions, I think there's this morbid satisfaction that can come to a person when they get yelled at. Is that the biblical form of, edica- of edification? It is not. It is not. As a matter of fact, who did Jesus yell at? When Jesus was yelling, when he was angry, when he was really upset, who was he, who was he addressing? The disciples? No. He was, <laughs> he was yelling at the Pharisees, the religious racket of the time, the religious mafia of the day. He was yelling at the temple, at the, at the people, the temple employees that, were, that turned the, the whole temple into a business, selling, selling sacrifices. The church is a place where you and I get to meet together. We get to meet a wide range of people. And I love, you know, I love a church you know, the body of Christ is multi-ethnic, multinational, many, history, many different stories, a very, very wide range socially, and it's not a cookie-cutter church, and I love that because Christ is multifaceted. His grace is multifaceted. The character and the nature of God is multifaceted, and it's always a surprise. I always love coming to church on Sunday mornings, and believe it or not, there are pastors. Sunday morning, they wake up in a cold sweat. <laughs> They're like, oh my gosh, I got to... I got to do this church thing today, you know? I got to preach, and I don't feel good about myself, and I don't like the people necessarily. I don't like the staff, the board. It's some crazy stuff that, that, um, that we face today. But when we get to know who Jesus Christ is in Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to turn to the scripture in a second. When we get to know who Jesus Christ is in Matthew 16, Jesus turns around and he says what to Peter? 
What does Jesus say to Peter? Thou art Peter, right? That's the King James Version. Thou art, you know? You are Peter, right? You are Peter. And what happens is that Jesus changes Peter's name from Simon, which, you know, name always associates with history, right? You know, you say a certain name, first and the last name, and you know their history, good or bad. Jesus says, I'm giving you a brand new name. You know, in the first century, the church, when you got baptized, you were given a new name. You were given a different name. You were given a baptismal name. I think some churches do that, but generally we don't do that. I think it's kind of a great idea. We won't do that here, um, you know, unless you want. If you get baptized, you want to change your name, like you talk to the state of Texas and, you know, the, the U.S. government, get your name changed, but we can do that, you know. Um, but God gives us a new name, and this new name is a new history. Isn't that awesome? You know, imagine getting a new Social Security number. How, how many would like to get a new Social Security number? I would. <laughs> That'd be great. You know, it'd be great. You know, like, there are some people that fake their death, right? They disappear, they fake their death because they want a new start. We don't need to do that. We just die with Christ every morning. Say, you know what? The old me is dead. That is dead. Yesterday is dead. It's a brand new day. Lamentations chapter three, it says, his mercies are new every morning. Mercy, you know what that means? It means that God doesn't give us what we deserve. Thank God. You know, I think some of us, sometimes we think, God, I just wish you would give me what I deserve. Like, I work so hard for you. God's like, you sure? You know, I heard, I heard in Poland, Pastor Maciek, who spoke here, said there's four ways that God answers prayer. We know three. This was a new one. He said, God answers prayer like this. Yes. God answers prayer. No. God answers prayer. Not now. And then Pastor Maciek says, he said, and he's a Polish pastor that spoke here. God says, are you kidding me? <laughs> I thought it was so good. Are you kidding me? Are you really sure? So God gives us a new identity. He gives us a new, and you know something, at the church, this is what we have to do. We don't talk about people behind their backs. We never do that. If you're around with a small group of us and a name comes up, we're never talking about people behind their backs. Do you know why? Because the sacred value of every person in this room, I don't care who you are, what your story is, doesn't matter. You're sacred. And, and the way we look at you, the way we pray for you, Pastor Adam and I and the team, when we're praying together for people, you, it, it's sacred. And you know something, I think sometimes it's easy for us to take on, and we said this Wednesday night, it's sometimes it's easy for us to take on the, the, the spirit or the, 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 the emotion or the mood of the trial that I'm in. And I have to be careful because I don't have a clock in front of me. Uh, last time I just spoke really long because usually I have a clock right here, but I don't. So I got to keep it keep it, you know, I can make sure that we're not going way overboard here. But sometimes we take on the mood and the spirit and the difficulty, the, the feeling of our trial, right? You get some really bad news, you're in trouble. It's easy for us to take on that image, like, oh man, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a person in trouble. Maybe your car is on fire in the parking lot, you know, and you're just thinking, not literally, but sometimes we just feel like things are just a mess in my life. And it's easy for us to take that on and forget that we are glorious new creations in Jesus Christ, not according to our works, but according to his, his grace and mercy. And so the identity that God gives us is so important that we would understand what that is. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, talks about Isaiah the prophet. And I want to just hit quickly a few points that we hit last week just to, to get us up to speed. Number one, um, when Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, verses seven through 13 were in the garden, we remember, right, that they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They got some knowledge, 
they got some information that was not the tree of life. They got information about good things and bad things, but not God. And it's very important, it's very easy for us to live in the world about good things and bad things, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's dichotomous, there's division there. And you can live on the moral side of life or the immoral side of life, but it's the same tree. But God wants us to eat from the tree of life, which is just Christ and the cross and all things are new and the word of God that is just speaking to our life, that's speaking life. And what happens is that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes were both open and they, they discovered, they knew that they were naked, uncovered. They felt ashamed and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. You know what happens to us when we feel ashamed? And by the way, we said this last week that guilt and shame are two different things. Am I going too quick? If I'm going too quick, just raise your hand. Uh, guilt and shame are two different things. Guilt is like, okay, that was bad. I know that was bad and I feel bad about that. I feel guilty. But shame is when that thing that I did gets under my skin. It gets inside of my image. And instead of saying that, that, that thing is wrong, I say there's something wrong with me. And that's shame. And that can happen easily in our lives. All of us struggle with that. Shame for whatever reason. And that shame can get in. And then when we hear the voice of God, we run. And it's no longer the face of God and the, and the hands of God and, the, and, the, and, the, and God's presence and who he is. It's just a voice, right? It's just a voice with no face. And we live in fear and they run and hide. They run and hide in the very place that they were supposed to have dominion over and that they were supposed to steward. You know, when, le- when we live in fear and shame, we run into those things and we hide in our work. We hide in our career. We hide in our accomplishments, right? We hide in what, we, we all do it. I do it. It's so easy to do. We just hide in what we, we hide in our thing. And we're like, I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. Look, here's this life, this is great. This is great. My job's doing great. And, you know, and we hide. And then God always finds us because God is a seeking God. And God, God desires to know us and he knows us and he wants us to know him. And so what happens is that when tragedy hits, we feel shamed, we feel exposed, we don't feel covered, we don't feel like our basic needs are met. And number two, shame is that feeling that something's wrong with me, that I'm not worthy for grace and love. You ever feel that way? I felt that way. Lord, (laughs) I don't feel worthy. I know theologically that I receive grace, that grace never ends, that love never ends, forgiveness never stops. I just sometimes don't feel worthy. I think men, the male, the male gender, like I feel, I think that sometimes we really struggle with that. We're like, man, you know, like, and it affects our sense of security. Number three, we make a vow that we will never allow ourselves to be hurt again. So we build layers of protection around us. I'm never gonna be caught standing in the rain. I'll never be in this situation where all eyes are on me and I'm not meeting the cut or whatever that shame is or whatever that thing is. We make a vow that we will never allow ourselves. And that, those vows, these decisions that we make build layers around us. And this layer that we're building around us is called the false self. It's not who we truly are. And nine times out of 10, when you meet somebody for the first time, you're probably meeting their false self. You're probably meeting their mask, their projection, what they're trying to project. I'm a good Christian. You know, I'm concerned on this and that, you know, okay? This false self causes us to no longer be authentic. And we lose our sense of authenticity. We come to church and we're like, hey, praise the Lord, brother. One guy that I met, he's a detective and he's a, he's really a, God's really using him in the, in the state of Texas. He does a lot of work with trafficking, with gang and human trafficking. And he's, he's really one of these just guys. He is what he is. He's just, he's from, he's from California. Him and his wife live here. And he said to me, the first time I met him, he said, you know, what is the problem with churches? Everybody's lying. <laughs> I was like, what? He goes, I come to church. 
And everybody says they're doing amazing. It's like either no one has problems in that church or everybody's lying. And he walked up to the pastor, one pastor, he, when he was visiting a church, and he said, why does everybody lie in your church? I think, he, I think that's an extreme example of what I'm talking about here is that we, pro, we project things to people because we feel rejection. We feel that. We fear that shame. But you know what happens? God comes in and he searches us out. You ever get searched out and called out? You hide. We're hiding in our stuff. Saul hid among the stuff before he was, before he was anointed and ordained as the king of Israel because he was insecure. God gives us a new identity, and I want to just wrap it up with this, okay, for the next couple of minutes. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And I want to read these verses to you. In the year of the death of Isaiah the king. Now, we read that, and I'm sure you've read that before. When King Isaiah dies... The historical context here, which is what we call isagogics, the historical context is, is that Isaiah was close to this king. This was a personal friend. This was a man that Isaiah knew. He was close. And at the death of the king, and sometimes when someone's removed in our life, either through a divorce or through a death or through moving away or just something happens, there's this sense of just insecurity that comes into our life and uncovering. And it says, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and raised throne, and the hem of his robe is filling the temple. And what happens here is that verse 2 and 3, we see that Isaiah has, to, has this revelation, this understanding of the holiness of God, that the, 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 the glory and all of his, his administration, the administration of God, the divine counsel that he has is filling the temple, and it's just filling the temple in heaven. And Isaiah sees this. I think there's times in our life where we just get a glimpse of the holiness and the righteousness of God. And that can have two effects on us. Number one, we, we say what Isaiah says, right? He sees them calling one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the pivots of the thresholds of the, of the, of the temple shakes. Ever have that happen in your life where God reveals something to you, reveals an aspect of his nature or his grace? or aspect of his majesty, or his, or his righteousness, or his love, and his holiness, and we find ourselves on our face before the Lord, very humbled, and this is an amazing moment. I love when these moments happen, because for me, it's not condemnation. It's just at first an understanding that I'm a broken creature, and I love this. Sometimes just to go to God and say, God, I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm a human being, right? I've been made of dust. It says in the book of Psalms, that the Lord remembers that we were made of dust. Amen? That's compassion, God doesn't look at you and not a, God doesn't look at, a, like at you out of disgust, like when is that person gonna get his act together like sometimes we would do, right? We look at somebody and we're like, oh, shame on them if they would just change their life in some way. God looks at us, he sees our brokenness and he has compassion on us. Can we get that? Can we understand that this morning? God doesn't look at us in Romans chapter eight, verse one, in condemnation. God looks at us and says, if they could know who they are in Christ, if they could know what I did on the cross for them, if they could understand the power of the words of the finished work, that they don't have to strive and be something that the Paul the Apostle proclaimed to the Colossian church. He said, we are complete in Christ. In the morning, wake up, say, I'm complete. Okay, this situation, my family situation looks really bad. Finances or my career looks like it's gonna end. Uh, I don't know what's gonna happen to my future or my wealth or whatever, or I know what's gonna happen in my personal life, or maybe you're facing temptation that you don't know if you're gonna make it, and just get on your face before the Lord and say, Lord, the whole, your, your presence fills the temple. Let me just look at your, let me look at your holiness, your righteousness, your goodness. And this is what happens to Isaiah. 
He's a mess. He's living in shame. He's broken. There's a circumstance where his friend, the politician, the king, Isaiah, Isaiah dies, and he's in a place of is con- a place of, of of conflict. And he says, "Woe to me!" Verse five: "Woe to me! I am destroyed." That's what it says in the, in the Hebrew. <laughs> I'm wrecked. You ever get wrecked by God? And I don't mean this in a destructive way because remember this, God does not destroy us. God does not ruin us. He, God does not destroy the, the dignity of who we are. God will correct us. He'll discipline us. But the world and religion and ideolo- religious ideology is going to wreck you. It's going ca- to cause shame on you. God never does that. We say this a lot, but John chapter 8, with a woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus is on, down talking to her like this eye to eye. She's on the ground. He's talking like this. The dignity that Jesus has after he dispels all of her, all of her condemners. He says, woe on me, I'm destroyed, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Imagine that, a preacher. Six chapters, right? I'm always amazed at this. I think I say it a lot. Isaiah chapter 6. Six chapters of Isaiah's ministry. And now he's saying, I'm a man of unclean lips, Right? And I am living among people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. And one of the seraphs, one of the, cherub, one of the seraphim, and seraphim are the high, one of the highest ranking angels in heaven. And seraphim, the Hebrew means, it relates to fiery, like the characteristic of fire. And whatever a seraphim did was just as fast as fire and with, with great judgment. And it was, a, it was an angel that, that God would use for very, very special events. And so the seraphim takes a, a piece of coal off the altar. What is that altar? What's this altar in, here in Isaiah chapter six talking about? I believe, and I said this last week, that it's the altar that where Christ was sacrificed as a, as a lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. It's the eternal altar that exists in eternity past for all of our sins and for our righteousness. And one of the angels go and take one of the tongs, one of the, one of the coals from that altar and he uses tongs, and we said this before, I'm sorry if it's repetitive, but they use the tongs because angels can't touch that stuff, right? Isn't it amazing that these glorious creatures, if we saw a seraph, I don't know how tall and how big they would be, but we would definitely be shaking in our shoes, right? And, but they can't, they're, just, they're majestic and they're power, powerful. And one of these angels kid like, killed like 10,000 people in the Old Testament just in a stroke. They're very powerful, but they can't touch the coals. Why? Because that is an altar for you and I. Angels don't need forgiveness. They don't need redemption. They don't need grace. They don't need, because they've never sinned. And so they don't have the privilege of knowing redemption. Isn't that amazing? Us human beings, that we get to know redemption. So he takes one of the coals from the altar and he puts it on Isaiah's lips. Maybe you and I are thinking today about a sin in our life. Oh, man, I'm just, uh, that thing in my life is just repetitive. And all of us have something we struggle with. And what God does every time, he takes it, he has a seraph, we don't know this, but he takes a seraph and he takes a coal and he puts it on that area of our life. And it just burns it, it judges it, and it says it's been forgiven. It's been forgotten, and you are forgiven. And this is something that we need to preach all the time, the forgiveness that is in Christ. Because if we can understand grace, if we can understand the power of our, res- of our redemption, guess what we would be doing? We'd be on our face before the Lord, and we wouldn't be thinking about how I can get away with, with, with my old habit or whatever. Because you know something? In Christianity, sin is not the issue. Sin is not something that God is trying to, like, okay, you've got to get over sin, and then you're going to be a good, good Christian. That's a battle that's already been fought. If we can live in that forgiveness and the cross of Jesus Christ, and we live in the freedom, and we see here the freedom that Isaiah has, and he touched my mouth, and he said, look, this has touched your lips and has removed your guilt, and your sin is annulled. 
Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying to me, whom shall I send who will go for us? And he said, well, I guess me. Worst case scenario, right? I was a preacher with unclean lips and I guess I can be sent, right? When we understand the forgiveness and we understand the finished work, we understand, and this is all that we do here. This is all that I want to ever do as a preacher is preach about finished work. Our Galatians class, our midweek, our Saturday get-togethers, our Sundays. I just want to talk about the finished work of Jesus Christ because when we do that, guess what happens? People volunteer. People step out. They're like, okay, there's no way I could ever fail. I guess I can step out, right? There's no way that I could ever fail God because I'm forgiven. And they step out and they say, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Instead of me saying, here I am, send me because I, I want to volunteer in the church to discover my identity. That's backwards, right? Sometimes we as Americans and we as, you know, Texans, I can say that because I have a Texan license. I'm originally from Boston. Don't hold that against me. I'm not a Red Sox fan anymore. Um, I was converted when I got my license. I, actually, when I got my license, the DPS made me sign a statement. I will be an Astros fan and a Houston Texan. No, I'm lying. Okay? And so, and I, don't, I forgot what I was going to say with that. Oh, anyway, here I am. Oh, here it is what I want to say is that sometimes as Americans, we come into the church, we're like, you know, I need an identity boost. I need to be affirmed my identity, so I'm just going to do this thing in the church. I'm going to feel better for myself. That doesn't work because eventually it fails. I want to close with this, is that when we don't have our identity, our identity in the gospel, and what is the gospel? The gospel is not just preaching Christ as your Savior, believe on him, you shall be born again forever and ever. It's the gospel means the finished work. It's the good news that I have to live in every day. When, I, when there's an identity crisis, I have a missions crisis. I don't know my purpose. I was talking to somebody yesterday who just is just wandering spiritually and they're in another state and they're just, they're just distracted. When we don't understand our gospel identity, we live in shame or in self-love. One of the two. We'll go into self-righteousness. We'll go into self-affirmation. We'll just go into self-propping up, making ourselves better, feel better, or we'll just go into shame and we'll go to our shame cave. And number three, we get distracted and we have no concentration. My pastor back in the day said this in a Romans class. I'll never forget it. He said, the reasons why some Christians don't have any concentration in their life is we don't have an, we don't have an understanding of consecration. When we understand our consecration, that we've been consecrated in Christ, then we have concentration. I want to finish with this. An identity based in the gospel of God does not take into account anybody's opinion of my life. Which is no longer, it doesn't matter what people say. That's social media. Us trying to spend all this time pleasing people that we don't even know or that don't even care. It does not matter. Okay? It doesn't matter. Number two, the gospel doesn't just free you from what other people think about you. It frees you from what you think about yourself. We're free from what we think about ourselves. And sometimes we're the worst critic. And number three, the gospel of God, the gospel of the love of God frees us from oppressive pressure to perform. A lot of P's in that sentence. Oppressive pressure to perform. You ever feel that way? I come from, that's my background. I come from a high achieving family and God's just had to crucify that continually. There's no pressure to perform because we already are what we are in Christ and there's no shame. And when we live in this, we just live in this divine self-forgetfulness we don't have to live with our performance. And when, after, when actually we live, uh, whenever we get occupied with our performance, it actually hinders growth in your life. Ever, ever, ever have someone really put on you a program that you've got to really perform and then all your creative juices end? There's no creativity. That's what happens. 
C.S. Lewis said this, and and he said this about a truly humble man. You know what humility is? Humility is just me understanding who I am in Christ and walking in that. One pastor in the Houston area said to me, he said, integrity is walking out who I am in Christ. C.S. Lewis said that you'll know truly a humble man, a humble man when we meet him because he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. We live in Christ's occupation. So then when we understand our significance, we become secure and our identity is locked in Jesus Christ and we don't have to win. I'm gonna finish with that. We don't have to win. We're free to lose. I can lose an argument and I can, it's okay because I know who I am in Christ. I can lose something. I can lose somebody. I can lose a circumstance. I can be transplanted. I can be put in a certain stance that I don't feel comfortable with and I can feel like I'm losing, but you know something? I'm not. I'm winning Christ. I'm winning Christ. I'm winning Christ. I'm winning Christ. Amen? And when we live in winning Christ, we look at Christ and we're like, we're like, Jesus, I'm broken like we said, like Isaiah said, I'm broken. Woe is me. And that's good sometimes. And I don't mean morbid self-introspection, but it's good sometimes just to be like, Lord, I just need, I'm, so, I'm just so, such a broken human being. And by the way, the longer you follow Christ, the more you're gonna see your brokenness. It's normal. You're not gonna feel more and more powerful as a Christian. <laughs> You're gonna feel more and more dependent on God. And that's normal. And when we fall in the face before the Lord, and we say, Lord, have mercy upon me, like that, like that sinner said at the, at, the, at the temple. He said, Lord, have mercy upon me. And he walked away and he was justified. Amen. I just wanna say that. Let's, let's call upon the compassion of the Lord. Let's close our eyes for a moment and pray. Lord, we just wanna call upon the compassion of the Lord. Lord, we need a revelation of your, your compassion. Lord, because we as human beings, we just make a program out of everything. We make a formula out of everything. We, we try to replicate successful events in our life. And when we don't, we live in shame. It's actually possible to be a father or a husband and just feel the shame of not having a good job or not able to prepare uh, to provide for your family. That's not, that's not biblical. As a, as a parent, as a, as a mother, as a single person, whenever we face those moments of need in our life, instead of retreating to shame and thinking there's something wrong with me, we can, we can retreat to Psalm 23, green pastures, sitting by a river and being fed by God like Elijah was in the oasis. Lord, we worship you. We thank you, God. You're so kind to us. You're so good. Lord, we ask you today, Lord, that we would put our trust in you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you've been religious, you've gone to church all your life. Maybe you feel like you've been coerced to go to church and you don't know Christ personally. Just say yes to him today. He's waiting to come into your life. And boy, when I said yes to Christ, my gosh, I didn't have to do anything. I just said yes to him, yield to him in Romans 6. And then everything started changing in my life. Do that this morning. Just say yes to Christ. And if you're doing that, Share that with somebody after the service so we can rejoice with you. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. Let's stand together and sing one more song.